Welcome to the Rapid Response RN Podcast, helping you keep your finger on the pulse of your patient's condition with real-life stories from the front lines of nursing. This podcast can help you sharpen your assessment skills, improve your ability to recognize the signs and symptoms of your patient's decline, be inspired to speak up and advocate, and know how to jump into action to promote the best outcome for your patients. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a time when I simultaneously completely embarrassed myself and effectively advocated for the patient and helped save his life. I discovered as I was writing out the outline for this episode that I have a lot to say on COPD and auction delivery methods, so I decided to chop this episode into part one and part two. In the first part, I'm going to share the story of this embarrassing rapid response call. Then, make sure you catch part two, where I break down the auction delivery methods and summarize the nursing nuggets to be gleaned from this episode. So, let's get started with part one. This particular shift, like many other shifts, was crazy busy with back-to-back rapid response emergencies, and it was like 3 p.m., and I still had not eaten. I finally got a break, but the cafeteria was no longer serving food, so I had to go order something from the cafe on the opposite side of the hospital. The hospital I worked for at the time was huge, with multiple towers that were actually across the street from each other, and all connected by a confusing underground tunnel. So I got to the cafe and ordered a black bean burger smothered in barbecue sauce, and the second I sat down to take a bite, the pager went off again, and all of my colleagues were busy with other emergencies, so I knew I would need to respond to this one, but I was starving, so I decided to literally eat and run. I promise that what I had for lunch is relevant to this story. Just stay with me. So I took off down the stairs with my messy burger in hand, barbecue sauce dripping down my fingers. I'm taking bites as I cross the busy street, running through the hospital's main lobby, then up the stairs toward the patient's room. I took the last bite of my burger just as I walked into the patient's room. I looked down to see my hands covered in barbecue sauce, but conveniently, there's a sink right as I enter the patient's room. So I washed my hands as I was talking to the nurse about her patient's emergency. The conversation was a little like this. Oh, hi, Sarah. Are you okay? You look out of breath. Nah, I'm good. I just ran here from the cell tower while eating my lunch. You know, just the usual. So tell me about what's going on with your patient. Um, well, he's really struggling to breathe. This is my third day with him, and he hasn't been like this, and I feel like he's getting progressively worse. He's got COPD and was admitted for pneumonia. We keep having to increase the amount of oxygen he's getting, and he's still struggling and super anxious. I called the resident twice now, and he says as long as the patient's SpO2 is greater than 90%, not to worry about it. But the past hour has been the worst. He's kind of freaking out. He keeps ripping the mask off, and it's just all over the bed. He isn't comfortable sitting up. He won't lay down. The doctor said he'd give him some Ativan to calm him down, but he doesn't usually act like this or need Ativan. Something else is going on. I agree. Thanks for calling the rapid response. Now, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to call the patient John. But that was not his name. No HIPAA violations in this podcast. So I approached the patient. He's sitting halfway on and halfway off the bed in a semi-tripod position. He's a big guy with sweaty, disheveled hair, his eyes wide and scared. He has a non-breather mask on his face, and he's breathing like 40-plus labored breaths per minute using all his accessory muscles. 
his head bobbing with every breath. His SpO2 was fluctuating between 90-91% when he kept it on his finger. And he kept saying, I gotta go. Help me get up. I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. So I got down on his level, put my hand on his shoulder, and made him make eye contact with me because he was desperately looking all over the room. I said, John, my name is Sarah, and I'm the rapid response nurse. Your nurse called me here because she's worried about your breathing. He interrupted. Help me. Get this thing off of me. As he was pulling the oxygen mask off. I said, John, I need you to keep the oxygen mask on your face. You need it. It will help your breathing. I can't breathe. I know, John. I'm sorry. I know this is scary. We're going to take good care of you. I looked at the nurse and said, give me the attending physician on the phone, not the resident. Didn't turn back to the patient. John, have you ever had a breathing tube before? He said, yes. John, you're working so hard to breathe right now, and you look so tired. If you needed a breathing tube again, would that be okay with you? If you get too tired, will you let us put the breathing tube in to help you? And he nodded yes. I made eye contact with the nurse to make sure that she saw the same thing that I did. By that time, the respiratory therapist had arrived, and I asked her if she could set him up for BiPAP. The charge nurse handed me the phone with the attending physician on the line. Hi, doctor. This is Sarah, the rapid response nurse. Your patient John is in respiratory distress. I need you to get here now. I think we may need to intubate. The doc said, what's his oxygen saturation? Well, it's 90% on the non-rebreather, but he's been on the non-rebreather for over two hours and he's just not getting any better. In fact, he's getting worse. His heart rate is 122. He's breathing over 40 times a minute. His blood pressure is soft and he is tired. Are you coming or not? He's just anxious. If his stats are above 90, he doesn't need to be intubated. He has COPD, so we don't need his oxygen level to be perfect. I'll send my resident. Okay, I will call the ICU then because this guy needs emergent intervention and your resident blew off the nurse who's been trying to advocate for this patient for hours. My next call was to my buddy, the ICU charge nurse. We have a good relationship and he knew me well, so all I had to say was, please send the intensivist. I think we might need to intubate this patient. He said, I'll send them now. At this point, there was nothing within my scope of practice that I could do for this patient right now. He was on the max oxygen that I can give him. The RT was getting the BiPAP ready. There are no meds I can give in this moment. He's already had Duoneb, Solumedrol, antibiotics. So my job as a rapid response nurse is to prepare for what might come next. So I checked his IV to make sure it was patent. I pulled the bed away from the wall to make space for the MD or respiratory therapist to intubate. I pulled the bag valve mask out of the package to get it ready to pre-oxygenate the patient prior to intubation. I ensured that the suction was working on the wall. I sent the charge nurse to go get the RSI drugs, and I recycled the vital signs. Then the resident who had blown the nurse off and his attending showed up. I approached them to update them on the patient's status, and he started trying to educate me on how COPD patients have chronically low SpO2 and how, quote-unquote, he probably lives in the low 90s and doesn't need to be intubated. I responded, Doc, I am fully aware of the pathophysiology of COPD and its initial management, but we are past that, and this patient is near respiratory failure. His worker breathing is far worse than anyone should ever have on an on-rebreather. He is anxious and intermittently confused, indicating hypoxia and hypercapnia. This is not his baseline, and his blood pressure is dramatically lower than his baseline. 
In that moment, the BP cuff finished cycling, revealing a blood pressure of 85 over 40, heart rate of 136, and SpO2 of 86%. To which I pointed to the monitor and said, he is clearly not improving with BiPAP. Then the intensivist arrived, took one look at the patient and his worker breathing, and said, get me 20 milligrams of Atomidate and 100 milligrams of succinylcholine, which I pulled out of my pocket since I already had the terrorist grab it for me. We proceeded to intubate the patient, and within minutes, his SpO2 improved, along with the other vital signs. Myself and the ICU charge nurse transported the patient to the ICU, and I returned back to the med surge floor to check on the primary nurse and thank her again for advocating for the patient and for her help during the emergency. I stopped by the restroom to pee, probably for the first time that shift, and as I was washing my hands, I looked up in the mirror to see a giant drip of barbecue sauce now dried and encrusted on my face. It looked like day-old dried blood dripping out of the right side of my mouth and down the side of my chin. I was mortified. Now, this was pre-COVID, so we didn't wear masks with every patient interaction. So everyone saw the barbecue sauce. I thought about how many people I had interacted with. The primary nurse, the charge nurse, the patient, the primary physician, the resident, the intensivist, and the whole ICU team that I'd passed the patient off to. And no one told me I had barbecue sauce on my face. After I scrubbed the sauce on my face, I walked out to chat with the primary nurse. The charge nurse grabbed me and said, oh, hey, Sarah, thanks for your help with that patient. I said, absolutely. I love saving lives with my friends. But what kind of friend doesn't tell you that you have barbecue sauce on your face? She said, oh, is that what that was? I thought it was a scab or something. It looked like dried blood. I wasn't going to tell you, hey, you have a nasty looking scab on your face. <laughs> I responded, seriously? You let me talk to all those people looking like a freaking vampire? She said, maybe it was a good thing. The resident needs to learn not to ignore my nurses. Maybe you gave him a little scare. I laughed. Maybe my embarrassment worked in my patient's favor. Coincidentally, as I was returning to the rapid response office to write a note about the event, I passed the same physician and attending in the hallway, and they both waved at me, and the attending said, Hey, thanks for helping with that patient. We didn't realize he'd gotten so much worse. I said, my pleasure. That's what the rapid response team is here for. And I made sure he saw the right side of my face to see that I don't always have barbecue sauce dripping out of my mouth. I could have said a lot more about how wrong they were not to respond with the same sense of urgency that the nurses had for the patient, or how I didn't need a lecture on COPD when the patient was crashing. But... I value interdisciplinary collaboration, and I know that we would need each other to care for the patient together in the future. I didn't want them to hesitate to call me for help, and I didn't want them to know that I had any hard feelings. I want them to know that I could work alongside them to care for patients together. They seem to have already learned a valuable lesson without me rubbing it in, so I just smiled and said, see you next time. Be sure to also listen to part two, where I break down COPD, the different levels of oxygen delivery, and the nurse's role in caring for patients with COPD exacerbations. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email with questions or comments, and it would mean so much if you could take a moment to write a review on iTunes, as this helps more listeners find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. 
So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. You've been listening to the Rapid Response RN podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing, and your patient's care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponsernpodcast at gmail.com or on the Rapid Response RM Podcast Facebook page, as well as the podcast website, rapidresponsern.com.